0: So we've come to the end. We have two more sermons today and next Sunday, and we will have completed Revelation. Um, I actually, at this point, don't remember when we began Revelation, but it's been a while ago, and so I, um, I, I'm sort of torn. I, uh, in, in some ways, I'm sad to leave it because I love this text so much, and then, um, but I'm also excited about moving on to something new, and so Uh, We will begin Mark in March, and uh, the final Sunday in February, we will have sort of a culminating service, worship service and sermon that kind of wraps everything up into a nice bow because my OCD will not allow me to start a new sermon series on the last day of the month. We got to start it in a new month, so that's what we'll do. But I am really excited about this uh, passage today, passages, I should say. We are going to be in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, all the way through Revelation 22, verse 5. And Jesus is revealing to John the new earth. He's revealing to John the new earth. What is to come, and uh, I'm uh, I'm excited about preaching this. Uh, it is fairly straightforward uh, from our perspective and how we've been preaching the interpretive method in which we've been preaching. Much of what we're going to be reading this uh, this day is symbolic, and so we should be very careful about taking the numbers and the the images literally, as some do, <clears throat> and th- and here's what i what i what i like to say is that if we take the if we take the text literally you actually it's not as impressive as if we would take it symbolically and so we're going to be reading this symbolically this morning and i will explain what that means but basically what john what jesus is revealing to john is the new earth what we're going to be experiencing for all of eternity and um, it's a beautiful picture. <clears throat> so I want to pray, and we're going to break right into it, and I'm just going to walk through this text this morning. It's going to be sort of like I would on a Wednesday night, but less back and forth and just me coming at you, if you will, and we're going to apply it where it's necessary. So let's open up uh, our, more, our sermon with a, a word of prayer, and then we're going to get right in it. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your for this text, for this scripture, Father, and we thank you for this vision that Christ has delivered to John, and I am uh, I'm thankful for what it reveals to us about our eternity, and Lord, I pray that as we read it and as we try to understand it, Lord, that we are interpreting it from the right perspective, uh, how you intended for us to understand it, and uh, for Father, I, I ask that you would ask I, I ask for grace uh, on me as I preach this, that I would preach it effectively and. Uh, and respect the text and not try to read in my own thoughts and my own feelings, Father, but take it as, as it is. Uh, let us as hearers and readers understand what you would have for us, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's just dive in, verse 9. John writes, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls... <coughs> Full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, "Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb." Now, immediately, I have this picture of a wedding ceremony, right? And I remember uh, that I was doing photography at a uh, for a, for a wedding. And, uh, and I'm always nervous about doing, taking photos at weddings, like being the photographer, cause you're like, you know, if I mess this up, you know, that's it. They're not going to have the right photos. Or they're not going to have any photos and Lord willing, I'm not going to get a chance to do this again. Right. And so we, we don't want a second do on this, on this wedding thing. And so like, I'm always really nervous about that. And I, I take it very seriously and I, I probably overdo it. Like I have like three or four cameras and all this kind of stuff but I remember this one wedding that I was doing, and uh, we were actually in a, 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 a beauty parlor. I don't even know what you call it. Uh, they, they do a lot of stuff there, right? But they were doing the bride's makeup and hair and all that kind of stuff. Salon, is that the word? Okay, but it was more than that. It was like they were doing a lot. They did a lot of stuff there. So it was a partial salon, but they did other stuff. And But let's just call it a salon. So I was in the salon because you know, I, they want you to take the pictures of the bride, you know, getting the makeup done and and all this sort of thing. And it was just a, it was just a, 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 it was it was kind of just very practical. These photos weren't they weren't real artsy or anything like that. But then the the bride's father was out in the foyer waiting, okay, and he had not yet seen his daughter. And so he's out in the foyer, and the bride's mom came in. She said, you're going to want to get this. I'm like, okay, you know. So I, you know, I set up. I'm like, I'm going to take the picture, right? And um, as here comes the bride, and I'm kind of following her, and I'm like getting my camera ready and everything, and she steps into the foyer, and the dad turns around. And he sees his daughter for the first time in this wedding gown. And he loses it. And I'm sitting there snapping pictures and everything, like, I'm gonna ruin this moment. <laughs> you know. Uh, but I mean, like, I'm taking these pictures and he's just, he's, and and this dad is not one to like lose his, lose his cool, right? I mean, he's very straight-laced, very serious and everything. But when he sees the bride walk in. For the first time, he just melts right there. Very emotional. And I can imagine that when the angel comes to John, he says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And the bride is clothed in splendor. Let us remember that the only reason the bride is clothed in splendor is because of the groom. And you know, and that, that's kind of what's happening in a wedding too, right? The, the bride is dressed in that way because she's got a groom that she's walking into, right? And that bride wants to dress her best. I remember when Crystal and I got married, we did it traditional. Now they don't do it traditional, Right? Like, now they do the pic- like all the pictures beforehand. Like, that's really common. They do all the pictures beforehand. Um, so the groom has already seen the bride and everything. And and, and that's okay. I've, I've done photography at those weddings, too, and stuff. And, and that's okay. But it does lose just a little bit, right? Well, we did it very traditional. We even started our... I was joking the other day. We started our, our wedding on the half hour, right? I think it was, like, at 6.30, because you have to do that, right? If you don't start it at 6.30 then the hand is going down when you start the wedding, and all of life ends right there, right? That's what, I, that's what we've been told, right? And so you have to start at 6.30, so as the wedding starts, that hand is going up. And so we did it very traditionally, and, you know, I'm, st- I'm standing down there, and all the groomsmen, and all, we walk out into the church, and we're all wearing sunglasses because we're cool, and we're out there. And then, you know, they open the doors, and Crystal walks in. It's the first time I'd ever seen her uh, in that uh, wedding dress, and then she tries to one-up everything. Instead of playing the wedding march, she sings down the aisle, right? And so, yeah, so let's like really mess up everybody on that wedding day. And so it was just beautiful, but just that, this picture of John being able to see the bride of Christ prepared for her groom. And in verse 10, it says, And he carried me away in the spirit. To a great high mountain. So, this is a, remember, this is a vision. Everything that John's seeing here is, it's not actually happening, okay? This is a vision. So, he's being carried away into the spirit and he's on this high mountain. And you know in the text that when you come up to a high mountain, you're getting ready to get revealed something, okay? Something big is getting ready to happen. We think of Mount Sinai, right? We have these mountains in the text and they mean something. And it says, uh, carried away to uh, by the spirit to a great mountain a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven out of heaven from God having the glory of God its radiance like a most rare jewel like a jasper clear as crystal now here's where uh, this angel or J- John is getting this vision of seeing this New Jerusalem descending. Now we said last week that this city that John is having a vision of is actually the church. okay? It's actually the church that he's seeing. Now I, I want to I want to, I want to throw something else at you here, okay? And I meant to explain this last week, but I, I, I just skipped over it and I, I shouldn't have done that. The truth is is that yes, the city is the church, but a city in itself is a community, right? So we don't count, we don't count like Frankfurt. When we say the city of Frankfurt, we're not think, we, we think of the buildings and stuff, but a city is not a city without its people, right? That's what makes the city. And so when John is, is, is seeing this vision, it's both the physical city, as well as the physical people, okay? So he is right in saying that the city is also the bride of Christ as well, that he is seeing. So all of this is being adorned here. And it says here, it has the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now, a lot of what you're going to hear over the next few verses are images straight out of Isaiah and out of Ezekiel. All right, these are images that are being repeated where we are basically retracing our steps and everything that we've seen before, especially in Isaiah chapter 60, is coming to fruition right here in Revelation. So it's being fulfilled in Revelation. And in a way Jesus is saying, "You remember that stuff that was in Isaiah that was that I inspired to be written in Isaiah?" Here's where it's coming. This is where it's being uh, fulfilled in its fullness. Verse 12. And he's talking about the city here. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. I just want to pause here for a minute. That's really strange, right? And this is where we, where we where we stride right deep into symbolism, okay, and what this means, and the symbolism is great here. Let's first talk about these gates. Well, so we had this wall, and ancient Jerusalem had a wall, okay, around it. Many cities had a wall that surrounded. Remember Jericho. Jericho had a wall, and it came tumbling down, right? Well, Jerusalem had a wall. Ancient cities had walls, And they had gates in the wall, and those gates were there in order to protect the city from marauders, from enemies, and things like that. Many ancient cities would only have, like, one gate, okay? Some of them might have two, but you had gates, and these gates were intended to keep people out, all right, and only allow them in. In this case, this city has 12 gates, there's three on every side, so when you, when you hear about this, this city as it's coming down from heaven is a perfect cube, all right? It's a perfect cube, and the wall around it have these 12 gates. Now, what we're going to read is that these gates are never closed. So it has, it has a wall, it has a very high wall, and the gates are never closed, now we'll talk about here in a little bit why that is, why these gates are never closed. So you have the 12 gates, and it says here, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. What does that mean? It means that the sons of Israel, and remember the sons of Israel are those who had faith, the sons and daughters of Israel are welcome into this city. We're not excluding them. They are welcome into the city. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lambs. So the gates have the names of the 12 tribes, and the foundation has the names of the 12 apostles. Now what does that mean? What was the job of the 12 apostles? It was to carry and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The significance in the names of those apostles being on the foundation is not the apostles themselves. It is the message that they were proclaiming. The foundation of this city, the foundation of this people that is this city, the bride of Christ, is the message that was proclaimed. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of all of this. If, you, if, if I could say it this way, there would be no city. This city falls apart. It comes down if the gospel isn't there. And I would say the same thing about the bride of Christ. There is no church if there is no gospel. There is none. And that's what I want is, is the church, is our church, and I don't mean this building, I mean the people of God, are we built on the foundation of the gospel? I was, we were at a basketball, basketball game yesterday, and I uh, was sitting next to a buddy of mine who I used to go to church with, and uh, he's younger than me, a young kid, his dad was a chaplain in the army, he used to live all over the United States, lived in Alaska, I'm going to get with him and get some ideas about where to go. And, uh, but we just had a great conversation. And uh, as it does, our conversation uh, turned to church. And it turned to preaching and it turned to just ministry in general. And he said, that, he said this, this to me. He said, you know, he said, and I'm going to paraphrase. He said, all that stuff that happens in church doesn't matter if the gospel isn't being preached and I know exactly what he means what he means is it doesn't matter how it does not matter how vibrant a children's ministry that you have how vibrant a youth ministry you have does not matter how fancy this worship team up here all the instruments all the lights all the screens it doesn't matter if the gospel is not being preached and taught Sunday by Sunday week by week it doesn't matter it doesn't matter. It, 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 and we actually started talking, because we both have young kids, and we started talking, and I made the comment about children's ministry. I was like, it's amazing how many parents, that their first thing that they do, the first thing that they do is look for a church with a good children's ministry. Now, folks, you know I love children's ministry. And we're investing a lot into our children, and churches should do that. But the first thing we look to in a church is not a vibrant, exciting, quality children's ministry. The first thing that we look to is, is the church built on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they preaching the gospel? Are they teaching the gospel? Because I'm going to tell you right now, that church could have the most vibrant children's ministry in the world. But if the gospel isn't being preached Sunday by Sunday, week by week then that children's ministry is going to be for naught because the parents who are going to be going home with those children aren't going to be receiving the gospel. You see, it's not the it's not the job, the primary job of the church. They are not the primary teachers of the gospel to these kids. It's the parents. It's the parents' job. The church, all we're doing is we're supplementing it. We're reinforcing it. But it's the parent's job to teach and preach that gospel to those kids. And so we want to invest not just in our children, but in the parents. We want to invest in those parents so that when they go home, the kids are not leaving the gospel behind them, but they're going home into a home that is infused with the gospel. That's what it means to be a gospel-centered church. Not just that the pastor's out there preaching the gospel Sunday by Sunday, but they are investing in the lives of their people and the parents so that those kids, as they are being raised up, are going to hear the gospel Sunday by Sunday. That does not guarantee that those kids are going to be Christians. But I will tell you this, is that they will have a much better opportunity to be exposed to Christ if that's the case. That church, that city has got to be built on the foundation of the gospel. Verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square. So it's, it's a perfect square. The foundation is a perfect square. It's length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod at 12,000 stadia. Now, folks, That's about 13,000, 14,000 miles. This city is massive. It's massive, but it's symbolic. The number 12, obviously, is symbolic. What's the point here? This city encompasses the whole earth. It encompasses the whole earth. This is not ancient Jerusalem that is just in a specific spot in the Middle East the bride of christ is ubiquitous she's everywhere the city is everywhere its length and width and height are equal it's a cube it is a rubik's cube and all the colors are lined up anyway that's not what it says but i like to think of it that way he also measured its wall 144 cubits remember cube of 12 or square of 12 right by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. That is just a demonstration that this is symbolic, okay? So all these measurements here are symbolic. And what they're intended to say is, they're perfect. They are perfect. They are completely as Christ would have them be. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. Now, that's a big deal right there. In the an ancient world, in John's time glass was not everywhere, right? And when I say glass, I mean like clear glass, like you could see through it. The majority of glass that was in John's day, you couldn't see through it. It was very cloudy, sort of like a, uh, the glass doors on a shower, okay, that are intentionally cloudy or the glass doors of a shower that were like mine that were cloudy because I never cleaned them, okay? <laughs> you just can't see through them, right? They're all foggy. But these are like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, agate, the fourth, uh, emerald, the fifth, onyx, the sixth, carnelian, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, uh, uh, cryopraise, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass, folks. The bride of, the bride of Christ is beautiful. She's beautiful. She's perfect. And she bears the radiance of God. So remember that. The reason she's like this is because she is bearing the radiance of God. If it's not for God, she's not beautiful. If it's not for God, she's not adorned with all these jewels. In fact, let me say it this way. If it's not for God, she's dressed in rags, blemished, soiled, not perfect. But the bride of Christ, the church, because of Christ, is more beautiful than we can even imagine. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city. Now this right here, to us, we read that and we're like, okay, there's no temple in the city. To John, this this was written, remember, after the temple had been destroyed. And so John remembered the temple. John was there when Jesus flips over the tables, right? John remembers the temple. He remembers the significance of the temple. And so many Jews are looking forward to this temple being rebuilt. And John here is getting a vision that this temple is not there. Many Jews reading this would would be saying, This is not the new Jerusalem if there's no temple. There must be a temple. And it says in verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There does not need to be a temple when Christ is present. When it says in that song, uh, you tore the veil and you made a way, that's Christ saying, quit separating me from my people. I want to be in the midst of my people. I want to dwell with my people. There is no temple because God is there amongst us. And remember that this perfect cube of a city, remember that that is to resemble the Holy of Holies, which is this perfect cube that you walk in. It is, the, it is the perfect city because God is at the center of it. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, it doesn't say that there is no sun. It doesn't say that there is no moon. It says there's no need for it. Because all the light that you see is the light from God in Christ. Remember, Christ is the light of the world. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. There's no need. There's no need to shut the gates. And it says, you like, remember, the gates were shut at night to protect. There's no night. Now, likely what that means is that there's no sin. Okay, remember this is symbolic, meaning that the gates are it's it's like it's always day. It's always day there. There is no chaotic night, there is no worry, there is no need to worry, and the gates are never shut, because not worry about people trampling over the city because no one will conquer this city, because Christ has already conquered on his white horse. It's already done. By its light will the nations walk. What if the nations walked in the light of Christ now? I was listening to a podcast the other day. And the in the podcast, the pastor was recount, uh, re, re, retelling a story of how he was talking to a missionary in another country. I don't know where the country was, but he was in a city, a small city, very small city in this country. And the missionary, uh, the pastor goes to the missionary and asks him, how's everything going in the ministry? And the missionary then proceeded to tell him that, oh, this last year we had like 250 baptisms. Now folks, 250 baptisms would imply that many, if not the majority, of the city have come to Christ, if you just hear that. Now, the point of this story was the fact that we rush missions and we're more about numbers than we are about actual life change. And so, but the point, what he said is, and this is the thing that stuck with me if you've seen 250 people come to Christ in this city, what has it done to the city? What has changed about that city? Because the, the, the idea, the implication is, is that if the majority of the people in this city have come to Christ, genuinely come to Christ, there should be a change in this city. And that's what we see here. It says, by its light, by the light of Christ, the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into this city. Right? And when it says bring their glory, it's talking about bringing their majesty, their kingship, if you will. It means that they're bringing everything into the presence of God because he is God over this city, right? And everything submits to him. Verse 28, I'm sorry, 26. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. And then it says this in verse 27 But nothing unclean will ever enter in it will never enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who is welcome in this city? The church, the bride, Christians, people who are saved. There is no longer going to be any need, and they don't shut the gates because there isn't anybody out here that are going to walk in Because the only people that exist in this city, which encompasses the entire earth, are believers. And let me say this. They are not just believers that we know as believers that have faults and they still mess up and we still get mad and all that. These are believers that are adorned in the radiance of Christ. Meaning they are walking perfectly with the Lord. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There's no longer this tree of good, knowledge of, good of, of, of knowledge of good and evil. There's only the tree of life. And it has 12 fruits, remember, symbolic. And these fruits, this tree bears its fruit every month. And you have this river flowing from the throne of God straight into the city. What does all this mean? Again, it's symbolic. God is the one who sustains this city. And this tree of life is for the healing of nations. Because there is no more sadness. There is no more pain. There is no more suffering. There is no more evil. Everything that is sustaining this city is coming from God Himself. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And that is the new earth. That is where we will be spending as Christians all eternity. But I want to pause just for a minute as we close, and I want to say this. Many of us, rightfully so, are looking forward to the day when we can be a part of this city, where where there's nothing accursed, there is no pain, where we'll be walking by the light of the Lamb, and there will be no more night, there will be no more need for sun or moon, because it is the light of the Lamb that is lighting our path. And here's what I want to tell you, though. Jesus Christ is the light of the world now. He is right now. Yes, this world is infused and broken by sin. It is. And we are fallible creatures who still sin and are broken. But the light of Christ is present now. It is difficult to follow Christ, but it is not impossible to follow Christ by the help of the Holy Spirit and His Word. And so it would be a mistake for us as believers to say, I am looking forward to eternity with Christ when I then can follow Christ and His light. That would be a mistake. Not to look forward to it. But to say that we have to wait to follow Christ and His light until then, because we can follow Christ right now. In fact, Christ is the light of the world, and He also says that the church is the light of the world because we are radiating the light of Christ into and amongst the nations right now. Why wait? There's no need to wait. In fact, Christ would say, Why wait? I have commissioned you to go right now. We'll be studying that on a few Wednesdays from now. But that is our commission. Until Christ is radiating His light for all to see in eternity, you all are the light of the world to go out there and show Christ to the masses. And so I say, why wait? Do it now. Be present now. Anything, anyone... Who comes into your presence is not by accident. It is not an accident that you meet strangers at Walmart. It's not an accident that you run into people on the street. It's not an accident when somebody comes up to you. I I thought of this the other day. I have no idea why I thought of this. But I have come to the conclusion that there are no accidents. That's not the conclusion. There are no accidents all there are, are surprise providences of God. Everything is in God's providence, and what we call accidents are merely that we are surprised by it. Because we didn't know it. It is not an accident. So when you run into that, that individual, that stranger at Walmart, and you get an opportunity to converse with them, don't waste that opportunity to honor Christ in that moment. Last night, Crystal and I we went out for a Valentine's date, which basically means we went shopping for groceries, and because we're real hip like that. And so, but we did go out to eat to make it an official date. And we went to this new restaurant, uh, Bellachino's. I don't did I say it right? Oh, I said it right. That's amazing. Uh, it was a it was a pizza place. And uh, we go in and we get pizza, and I was really happy because I found a new pizza place that I really liked, and we're sitting there eating and everything, but at the end, we didn't know what to do with our stuff. Do we throw it away or do we leave it there? Because I am, just like I am horrified by the idea of leaving a cart in the parking lot without putting it in the rack, I'm horrified of leaving my trash on the table when I'm not supposed to. Like I, I want to help them clean it, right? It's just my nature to do that. Believe it or not, Mom, it really is my nature now to clean. Um, and, and so there was this nice elderly couple sitting next to us, and I looked at I said and I, I think I said, do you come here a lot? And they said, we come here all the time. Uh, and I said, do we take our trash or do we leave it? They said, you can take your trash up there, or you can leave it at the table. They're real nice here. They'll pick it up for you. And we just didn't know what to do because some of it was trash and some of it was like to be washed. So we, we ended up leaving it. And as we left, I, like, I, my, the urge in me wanted to just sit there and kind of talk with them for a moment. But we were, we were in a hurry like most people are. So I just walked out and I just said, be blessed. That's all I said was, was, was be blessed. Now, that was a simple thing, and I'm not patting myself on the back for that because I would have loved to have done more, and I probably should have done more, just taking the time to do that. But I will say, just by saying, be blessed, That is not something that the world says. Because blessing is not something that the world understands. But I don't believe it was an accident that I ran into that. Maybe they were believers and they they loved the Lord. And at the very least, when they heard somebody half their age tell them to be blessed, it just gave them a little bit of encouragement. Just gave them a little bit of encouragement. Be the encourager. Be Be the person who is bringing the light into somebody's life during that day. I cannot wait to live in that cube. I can't wait to live in that Rubik's Cube. It's going to be awesome. But I don't have to wait for some of these blessings. Some of them are right now. So let me just encourage you to be that blessing to somebody. Be the light of Christ to somebody right now. Because no one that you run into, is an accident. It is not an accident. It is not an accident but it is by God's divine providence that just surprises you from time to time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you and we ask you to put more of these accidents in our way. And help us to shine the light of Christ into our communities, our family, our friends, and the strangers that we meet, so they might get just a little taste of what eternity may have to behold. We love you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.